Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whitehead and my guest today is Dame Jackie Daniel, Chief Executive of Newcastle-upon-Tyne Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, Executive in Residence with Lancaster University Management School and Co-Chair of the Shelford Group, being the 10 largest teaching and research hospitals in the NHS. You can find Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Daniel NHS and her inspiring and informative blog can be found at damejackiesblog.co.uk. Dame Jackie, welcome. How did your day start? Uh, it started today as it always starts, Chris, which was um, I've got an exercise bike. I probably should not brand it, but I get on and do usually about three quarters of an hour spin um, about 5.30 every day because... Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just struggle when I can't exercise um, and many of us are struggling with that right right now. But I just it gets me off to the right start in the day. I do a few stretches after that, but then heading heading to work. And uh, could you tell us about your journey to chief executive? You began your career as a nurse. I did. I did. It feels like a long time ago now. I'm I'm edging towards 40 years with the NHS. It's been joyous, every bit of it, I have to say. But um, yeah, I began as a, a nurse. I qualified early 80, 1980s, worked for about 10 years clinically, uh, then moved into sort of general management and board level posts. And I've been a chief executive for uh, 18, 19 years now. So in addition to your nursing degree and your qualification in quality assurance in healthcare and social care, you're a qualified business and personal coach. What yeah. motivated you to study as a coach? Many things, really. It, it, it felt to me for a long time and certainly well before I became a chief executive that uh, when I was a director on, on the board of directors in a, in a trust it just felt as though I'd, I was spending a lot of time in coaching conversations. And I really, I was really cognizant of the fact that I, I wasn't quite sure how well I was, how well I was leading some of those conversations. So wanted to kind of brush up on my skills. And it's, it's massively helped, um, Chris, I have to say, it's been one of the best things I've, I've done. Because, you know, you get obviously to work with a range of tools and techniques, there's no one way. Um, but you sh you know you you work within those parameters and slowly find a way that sort of suits suits your your leadership and, and the work you're doing with the people you're trying to coach. But you know one of the things about working in such a people-centered business like the NHS is that it's one of the joys of the job actually to 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 support people to really flourish. And it's a hard industry to work in. You know, it's really tough at the front line. Um, so it's fantastic when you can see people blooming and blossoming and, and going from strength to strength. So um, I've never regret, you know, spending the time learning some of those skills at all. How would you describe your personal leadership philosophy? 
Well, I've, I've mentioned the word flourish and apologies because I'll probably mention it a lot because it's um, it's kind of a program that I've been developing over over the last decade or so, really. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of OD framework. But again, people people are at the centre of it, Chris. And, and it's really, for me, about supporting people to be the very best versions of themselves. So um, in healthcare, it's really important that you get people into a discovery mindset. I've worked in, in some of the organisations that got themselves into trouble. It's because, you know, I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but it's it's a lot to do with the fact that staff get into a very defensive mindset, feel threatened. Um, and obviously, we all know how it feels when you're working under those, those circumstances. So really, I try and support people. My whole leadership philosophy is to Try and help people be be their authentic selves because that I, I feel is really really important. But but also to be the best version of themselves, and that's you will know this, but and, and listeners will know it. But that's that can be very complex, and it, it requires you to work on an individual basis with with people. We're all so different. In May 2019, the Care Quality Commission inspected the Royal Victoria Infirmary, the Freeman and the Dental Hospital and returned an overall rating of outstanding. In reaching that verdict, it cited the quality of the Trust's leadership, an inclusive and supportive culture that you've just referred to, and the commitment to innovation and learning. My question is, how do you sustain those things year in, year out? Well, I talked about the framework that I've been working with, uh, Chris, and it is basically there's kind of three big domains to this framework. The first one is all about leadership and people. And I don't mean just the, you know, people at the very top of the organisation, people like myself. But I mean, I really think there can be leadership from any level. So I think it's really aligning that and getting the leadership behaviours um, working proactively and positively. The middle bit of the framework is all about the operating framework and the governance, which in health systems, in, in most systems actually, but in, in healthcare particularly, the discipline about how you manage risk and and actually how you manage performance is, you know, this, this is a billion pounds plus organisation, you know, we've got 17,000 staff. Actually getting alignment and some focus and ordering, not just the annual priorities, but Quarter on quarter, are they being delivered? If they're not, why not? You know, how do you then engage with teams to do the necessary recovery and so on? So that's a, a very important sort of spine or middle bit of, of the framework. And then I think equally important, though, is, is the third bit, which is really about how you create networks of activity or communities of interest, um, how you build deeper relational fabric with staff and I think you know it's where often writers will talk about you know how you get that discretionary effort what's really motivating people and so we, we try and through the flourish program really allow people to come together in a not overly governed way but just to start to talk about the things that are really important to them and I think what we found over the years is that that is a very self-sustaining program of development and and it's a way to get not the usual suspects who are very featuring the leadership hierarchy and would feature in the performance 
uh, operating framework. It's a way of just grabbing those people that you might not necessarily engage with. So we spend quite a lot of time working on different modes of delivery and having a bit of fun with that bit. It's, you know, it's the it's the element of the programme that energises a lot of people. Um, so I think it's, and we pay a lot of attention to that. So, you know, I and my team work in 12-week blocks. So we're constantly looking ahead, we're looking back, reflecting on what's gone well, what hasn't. And I think the thing that holds it all together is the way that you communicate all of this in different ways, with different levels of staff, but it's a constant, it's a really, you know, highly focused and consistent and constant programme. The the 12 week blocks, by the way, that sounds almost like a kind of agile framework. Is that was that intentional? Very intentional. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any other way because you can imagine. Let's just take the year, the year we're in with the pandemic. I would have never guessed this time last year, although we're getting close to the anniversary of Newcastle took the first COVID patient in the UK. But how would we have known what this year has brought? And we've had to really adapt almost week by week. So I think working in this 12-week bracket just allows sufficient time to get traction on the things you need to improve. I think that's I think that the evidence supports that actually. And it can you can keep people focused for that length of time. Um, but any longer, so much has changed. So yeah, we find it useful. The challenges facing the NHS right now are, are well documented, an ageing population, budgetary constraints, increasing costs of pharmaceuticals and medical equipment, and that's before we even start with the pandemic. Is there anything that can be done, in your view, at a systems level to address these challenges? Yeah, I think so. And obviously, we're thinking more and more about that um, right now in the NHS. What I've come to appreciate, certainly in the last, in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, um, Chris working, leading NHS organisations, is that there's such a link between health, between wealth and the economy and well-being. And actually, it's only really working in working with system partners that you can tie those things together. So in Newcastle, we've got a partnership arrangement with the city council, with the universities in the city, with the mental health trust, with our social care providers and GPs, the coal collaborative Newcastle. And really we're, we're using all of our collective assets, including the Newcastle pound, and we're redefining the priorities. It's been really important in the year of the pandemic the way that we've wrapped around care with all our care and nursing homes in the city. Uh, we've done some incredible things because we've come together and we've, you know, there's good aligned leadership, the shared values and um, a shared sense of what we can do together of our collective efforts. So that's that's been fantastic at a, a sort of micro level. At a bigger level, we've been working with what we call the Provider Collaborative, which is a group of eight NHS foundation trusts of different sizes. Newcastle's the largest in the region. But the mutual aid that we've been able to give one another in areas like critical care, we have stepped through every, every week of this pandemic together over the whole year. And 
I don't think we'll ever go back to working any other way. It's been incredibly powerful. Uh, and I think that is around having a common goal and, mm. you know, and a real purpose. And so I think there'll be a, a lot more of that in the NHS. And I, and I think it's I think it's very appropriate. I'm sure it's very appropriate to Newcastle where you do have such great institutions, don't you, and a real feel of community solidarity. No doubt yeah. there, there's a positive feedback loop operating there. Yeah. Um, then Jackie, what's your proudest achievement during your career to date? Gosh, and you know, um, when I think about this, it's really, really hard to to think about one thing over 40 years. Can I can I take a bit of license and maybe talk about a couple of things? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so when, I remember when I was a nurse director, I must, you know, this must, this clearly the people issue is always, you know, is always um, been a central feature of what I've done, Chris, and uh, leading what was then known as the Improving Working Lives campaign. I mean, this is going back some some years, but leading that on behalf of the Trent region was. I was really proud of that. I think it started to shift the culture about what people could should expect from their working lives. Uh, and that was really powerful. You'd probably expect me to say the work that I did in More Convey. Yeah, that was very um, sort of high profile for all the wrong reasons because of the failure to care and treat for mums and babies in the maternity unit there, but felt very proud working with those families who mm. suffered a lot of distress, actually. It was, we got to know one another, the teams really worked with those families to make the improvements, to build confidence that we, we'd made those improvements. And that was that was fantastic um, to see at the time I, I left. In Newcastle, I think one of the proudest moments, and it was very early on in my t- tenure here, was actually raising the rainbow flag to celebrate, you know, our LGBTQ staff and, and patients. People described it, staff described it as it's almost like the windows have been open, there's air blowing through the organisation. We're allowed to do these things. We, we, you know, we can talk about it, we can celebrate diversity. That was yeah. such a powerful moment. And then probably, you know, the other quite recent thing, apart from the pandemic, of course, is um, we were the first trust to declare a climate emergency mm. um, in the world, the first healthcare trust organisation in the world, we think. And we've really been leading the way in, in NHS terms. And again, that really speaks to staff feeling and their families feeling so passionate about this area. So and it does link a lot to the way we deliver healthcare. We use an awful lot of plastics and and an awful lot of gases. And, you know, you can imagine how much transport and travel we're responsible for. So that's just been a fantastic thing to see. And as I say, energise staff hugely. And of course, 17,000 staff, you have a huge influence and impact on the community, don't you, in, so, in Newcastle? And um, your your colleague at Lancaster University, Michael West, I think, is always fond of pointing out that what happens within the trust, the staff and the patients then take that out into the community. They do. Would you be prepared to disclose a mistake you've made on your leadership journey and what you've learned from it? 
Okay, I've made lots and lots of mistakes, and I, and I think you know I always encourage people that I um, try and support to talk and acknowledge them because wouldn't it be weird if that didn't happen? Um, I think one of the biggest actually, which had the biggest impact on me, was was kind of choosing the right job. I think it happens a lot to leaders that we're encouraged to look at opportunities. And I think most of us know when they're not right. And I took on a, a, a chief exec role to turn around and I, and I did it, but I, I didn't enjoy it. But one of the most financially challenged trusts in, in a given year. And, you know, it just didn't fit with my leadership style, with my values. I, I felt incredibly I just felt wrong. I just, it didn't fit. It didn't feel comfortable. I didn't enjoy it. It was probably really bad for my health and well-being. And uh, I'd always say to people that I support now, don't, just don't do it. If it doesn't feel right, then it, then it isn't. Yeah, they'll find someone who has a, has an absolute fit, but be true to yourself. It's so important. Life's too short. Good advice. There's a lot to be said for heart instinct, isn't there? Uh, is there a person or experience that you found inspirational during your career? Gosh, again, again, there's there's lots. And, you know, I was kind of giving some thought to all the people I've worked with. I think we all do this. You look back at people who, you know, the Ward sisters when I was a student nurse, being completely inspired by the leadership that I was witnessing then and trying to get closer and closer to people so that you could sort of get a sense of what it was about what they were doing. And I always say to people now, you know, if you manage to rub shoulders with these people, I I used to be very afraid of um, asking for help or asking for support or advice. And I always say to people now, just ask for what you need, because most people, in my experience, are really pleased to help and, and will talk you through what they're doing and why they're doing it. So I try, I try to do that. But really, I think the inspiration that I drew from the families that I work with, Chris, in, in Morecambe Bay, has, has got to be up there. They'd lost babies mm. and it was incredibly, they had to fight hard for justice and improvement. And, and I mean, that shouldn't have ever been the case. They and I hope, you know, together we improved the standards of care and the services to this day for their communities locally and, and nationally, you know, they've had a national impact um, with the work that they drove. But what an what an inspiration because it was it was so difficult. I'm sure to stand up and do that. Mm. Earlier in this series, I interviewed Tracy Allen of Derbyshire Community Health Services. She said her favourite question to aspiring chief executives was, what is your leadership for? And her own answer to that was social justice. Is that a question you ask yourself? And if so, what would your answer be? Yeah, it is a question. It is a question I ask myself, um, or, or, you know, not probably consciously in that way, but you get a, a lot of days and think, you know, what am I doing? You know, am I focused on the right thing? I think it's something I keep coming back to and this this issue about enabling staff to flourish because all the evidence in healthcare is that if people are feeling uh, they can give of their best, they can be who they truly are and they are really flourishing, the evidence is 
it translates straight into outcomes of care for patients. So for me, it's about supporting the staff to be the best they can be uh, and to continue that improvement journey. And um, yeah, I, I use the I use the word flourish again, but mm. not always easy to do. But um, but that's I think what I'm. That's the most important thing I can do. Uh, you've been an NHS chief executive for almost 20 years, and you've talked about looking after yourself physically by getting on your exercise bike each morning. Are there other things you do to uh, that are part of your self care regime? Yeah. And again, wow, I wish I'd learned some of this early on uh, or earlier on. Um, when I look back now to the way that I manage my week, my month, my year, you know, in the early part of my career, I used to crash into a Friday if I was working Monday to Friday as um, a leader and wonder what on earth had hit me. Now I, I really do. Well, we've talked about the 12 week blocks. I uh, I use the technique which I'm which I'm trying to write a bit more about, which effectively looks at the way I manage my energy during the day and during the week. What I find I'm a, I'm an introvert, but obviously in these jobs you do a lot of front facing work. But it, I notice that it really does take its toll on on me. And what I have to do is I have to make sure I've got plenty of what I call little restorative niches in the places I need to. Sometimes I can't change the diary. But I can change what I do before and after those events. And I think, I mean, for me, that's about managing my physical health and, and importantly, energy levels so that I don't crash into a Friday. But also managing my mental health. Try and give time so that I've got time to reflect, time to connect with family and people that I need around me. And I really do now focus on those basic pillars, which are, you know, making sure I try and get the sleep I need, careful about what I eat and drink. I do still use a coach. I try and do quite a lot around mindfulness and just settling, just trying to find those moments in a completely chaotic world at the moment to to ground myself and um, so I'm much better than I used to be, thankfully. Um, and I try and help people I support to do that. I think it's so important. So important. So can we expect you to write about that in Dame Jackie's blog shortly? I've actually written about it in a blog previously, Chris, but uh, I'm, I'm at the moment trying to, to write a book. So, you know, if you've got any tips and hints or anybody listening to this out there who fancies trying to help me with it, I'm about halfway through, but... Uh, yeah. Well, I have written a book. Perhaps that's a conversation we can have offline. And uh, talking of books, so is there a book, podcast or video that you'd recommend to aspiring leaders? Yeah, there's, there, there are a few. I tend to, um, I tend not to read many novels. Um, I tend to always have my head in, you know, uh, different kind of business behavioural psychology books. Uh, business development books of different sources but for some cases so here's some of the ones that I remain memorable so on a I suppose um well it is it was quite profound I thought but um a bit lighter um I loved Michelle Obama's uh, book Becoming Michelle I thought that was it was just the way she'd written that and the insight and honesty uh mm. I think for for people who are grappling with 
taking on challenging and very different uh, roles, particularly women. Uh, I thought that was super. I love Rituals for Every Day. That's a book by Katia Phillips and Nadia Narain. It's just lovely. I mean, I, I often think about the little th- the things we do in our routine as the building blocks of our lives. So I'm a, I'm a fan of routine and uh, habits. Uh, and that's just such a beautiful book. I love Better Than Before. I love Gretchen Rubin and her work. Uh, again, quite a lot of that around the cycles of small habits that can really make a difference to the way that we live. The last novel that I read was The Salt Path. Oh, it's not really, it's a bit um, biographical, isn't it? But um, uh, by Raina Wynn, about her journey walking. Yeah, I've read The Salt Path. It's a beautiful book. Absolutely stunning. And uh, I've got the second follow-up. I must read that. So, yeah, so those are some of, some of the things that I guess have really prompted me to think a little bit differently. Some people might say compassion goes hand in hand with the NHS, but my reflection is that it's incredibly challenging to maintain a compassionate culture within a system that's characterised by chronic excessive workload, constant budgetary pressure, the risk of litigation. Do you think the NHS as a whole is doing enough to create compassionate leaders? I think the short short answer is no, um, it's not. And I think... I think we see cycles and of course when we're at our most pressured and we need the compassionate that compassionate leadership most tends to be the time in the NHS the NHS is such a political football and that really doesn't help because there are knee-jerk reactions often quite brutal knee-jerk reactions uh, which can have a devastating impact on on particularly young leaders um, who are new to that system so no is a short answer and we need to do so much more to work on this to talk about it to broadcast it and and to make it um clear that this is the roots to all sorts of success it's not just you know it's about personal and inner success it's feeling feeling good about what you're doing but and it's all around i think a lot of it is around behavior but it does take a lot of time and it does take, well, I think, constant effort and focus. And it's, it's quite hard to learn it, actually. Yeah. I think, obviously, some people are naturally more compassionate than others. But, you know, a lot of it is, a lot of it needs to be kind of learned and inbuilt and trusted. And then focused upon because it is so easy to get blown off track. And uh, I see it, I see that happening too many, too often. Yeah, when I interviewed Tracy, I was I was struck by the idea that actually I think it takes quite a lot of courage as well to resist at a, a board level or a middle management level the pressures that are coming down from above and from the centre. Yeah. To resist just passing those down in a kind of mindless way to the, the people who report to you. It really, really does. And I think I think that again that, you know, people people like me, hopefully, who've had you know, coming towards, you know, the, I don't not the end of my career, but, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm mature, I'm a mature leader, um, can do a lot to support those that need nurturing and need supporting to do that and, 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 and really, you know, supporting others to, to be able to operate in that way. And can we expect some of this in your book? 
by the way. Do you want to tell it's me a little bit more about your book? I no, mean, it's definitely in there. It's definitely uh, most of what we're talking about today, actually, Chris, is in there. Some of the how, what I think are the things that help and support you to to live and work in that way. Um, there's quite a lot of sort of fairly hardwired stuff about the way you can you run big big businesses like this and continue to do that and, and maintain your own courage. A lot of it, isn't it? It's about yeah, it's about maintaining that belief and and courage and consideration. Really high degrees of courage and consideration, probably an equal strength. And is your is your book targeted at an NHS audience or is it wider than that? It is wider than that. Yeah, I'm massively interested. I've done lots of uh, sessions for people like, you know, the Tate group, you know, so I thought what can a lot of people who are focused very much on kind of art and the kind of cultural side of things learn from someone like me. But actually, we've got lots in common. There is such a common thread in in working with people. And that's I think that's the bottom line for me. Finally, Jackie, here's a question that asks everyone who appears on the show what advice would you give your 20 year old self so much we probably wouldn't stop talking we'd be we'd be online forever um i think and isn't it easy with the with the um benefit of hindsight and years of hindsight and it you know it just gets clearer and clearer and clearer for me there'd be something about look you know it is a journey and not a destination. You know, I've been a chief executive now for approaching 20 years. I, I, I'd have probably said slow down. You know, you're going to spend an awful lot of time working at that level. And, you know, that's that's hard. So enjoy it. Try and enjoy it as you go. I, w- I would definitely give myself some advice to just be who, who I am. I think I spent way too many hours early in my career trying to be who I thought people wanted me to be. And it was uncomfortable. It didn't wear, it didn't, didn't sit right. It must have looked and sounded very odd. <laughs> so apologies to all those people I worked with who worked with me when I was a lot younger. And I think finally, just to accept that, you know, a lot of that time I was good enough. It's just tell people, you know, you are... You're good enough as, as a human being and a leader. Come on, give yourself a break. Well, Dame Jackie, thank you so much. I mean, 20 years as an NHS chief executive is just a phenomenal achievement. On the occasions I've visited Newcastle, it's always struck me how much civic pride is vested in the Newcastle upon Tyne Hospitals NHS Trust by the people of Newcastle. And I'm so glad to find the organisation in such capable hands. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. Email me about the show, chris at danflask-consulting.com. And you can order Compassionate Leadership, the book on Amazon. This episode was recorded by Microsoft Teams in Sheffield and Newcastle and the music was brought to you by 96 Back on CPU Records. <laughs>